You can see my award-winning climate comedy show spoilers at a festival near you, provided you live near or are going to McHuncliffe or Wells Comedy Festivals. More dates added soon near you, conceivably, who knows what might happen. And if you are at Mac, come and see ComCom Redacted live at 4pm on the Saturday. Go to stuartgoldsmith.com and click the very attractive banner image to find out more. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. This is a podcast from ComediansComedian.com. This is the Comedian's Comedian Podcast. Welcome to the show. I'm Stuart Goldsmith, and this is an episode with the brilliant Ashling B, recorded live at Edinburgh this year as part of PBH's Free Fringe. Uh, the wonderful Emily Crosby, who logged this uh, this episode for me uh, to help my uh, admin make all that a bit easier, uh, pointed out when she sent it to me that it may have been a shorter episode, but we got a lot in. Uh, we absolutely did, as you're about to hear. This is Ashling B. Hello! Hello, Edinburgh! Thank you, thank you, Ashling, for coming on the show. No problem. How's it going? You've just come from a show at which you, you were sign-interpreted. Sign language yes, interpreted. I, uh, I speak too fast, so I had to get a sign language interpreter <laughs> for the show. Um, yeah, would you know what? It was the most amazing thing. So I've literally just come off stage, uh, and I got... Um, uh, there was a, a Glaswegian comic who put up on Facebook that both his parents are deaf, and he was going to do some sign language interpreted shows, and he was like, not enough people do them. And it's totally true. It's so easy to do. Like, it's such an easy thing to do. And so I got this great guy Paul to do the sign language interpreting and it was honestly you know one of those moments you're like that is a lovely thing to have done and yeah. to have him there and he was great crack so like and, and also he was doing British sign language interpreting because there's also Irish sign language interpreting which is a lot more it's like just waving your hands in the air and looking up to the sky going but but yeah it was just a it was a brilliant thing to do and I'd advise all comedians to give it a go at some point Josie Long often does it and she does it with like a typer who types up everything she's saying but it was really nice to have a person oh like over titles yeah yeah like, like a sort of subtitle like LED subtitles exactly and yeah. there's a woman kind of frantically typing and how can somewhere. a sign language person keep up with your incredibly fast rhythm of speech well he came to see the show twice I'm saying this slowly now to try and undo what you just said <laughs> talk fast me mm. um, yeah he came to see the show two or three times and then recorded one and so he practiced at home trying to get through it really fast but like his fingers by the end were like in whiplash where he's like drummed too many times they were just yes. like blah, 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 just yeah he was tired um he was working like a, a male pimp on a friday night with his fingers i i don't know why i, said I don't that. know what you that know, was it was a bit saucy it's late at night i just thought i'd throw it in but you know you can edit that bit out <laughs> i'm not going to oh. so uh tell us about your show for those people listening or for if there are any people here who've not seen you before mm-hmm. what sort of thing do you do i know comics hate to be uh, asked to describe what they do but uh, there's a there's a bunch of comics there's three thousand shows in town what do you yeah. do 
Ireland, Ireland, Ireland. Feminism, thanks very much. I've been Ashling B. Uh, <laughs> I obviously don't want to be prescriptive about my work, but um, no, I, it, it's only my second ever solo show. I've been an actor for about 12 years and then I only got into stand-up about four years ago and I didn't expect things to go as kind of quickly and happen as quickly they have been, as... It's for people like you that words like meteoric are um, Yeah, very much. That's why I'm here tonight in front of this giant crowd here. I mean, I pull in the numbers. Let's just put it that way, guys. Well, um, I, I've got to start at the, at the risk of sounding like this is a detriment to the podcast. You've got three times what Daniel Sloss pulled in. Oh, really? So, yeah. So you're, you're doing <gasps> this to show. This isn't the biggest room in the world. There's not a huge number of chairs. Mm. These people are all super up for it. You know, you're, you, it is meteoric. It's not really? that this is a, oh, you know, no one mm. turned up. This oh. is, this is a, you're a big draw. This is a great day for Stuart. Um, this is a, well, you know, God, I'm really I'd... sorry I tried to. <laughs> I thought I'd throw a few crumbs from the master's table down <laughs> to you there today. <laughs> no, it's been very odd because I've I've kind of um, come doing only my second show and like people turn up and they sort of don't know what to expect yet because it's not like I've spent years and years gigging where you develop an audience through, pe- through word you. of mouth. I've got you. They know you because you've been from on te- telly quite Yeah, a telly lot. stuff and also a real variety of telly stuff. So you have people coming from seeing me in acting shows or like QI or something where it's snippet and edits of little things and then to see someone for an hour is a very different experience so I think half it is being okay with the fact that sometimes people might come and go yeah sore don't need to see her again tick or then some people might like you and want to come more and more so that is a really interesting I've never heard anyone describe that facet of a very fast rise before I remember Sarah Mm. uh, Millican when she was on this show talked about even someone in her position who commands an entire audience her quibble her, her kind of concern is that half of them are fans and half of them will have been brought and I suppose, so yeah. you mean that I suppose you can never relax, can you? Like, no matter yeah, what situation you're in. I think it's in. more just make, making it okay in your head that it's okay if people don't like you because when you slowly get bit by bit, people kind of only come because they like you and then, you know, there's word of mouth and I think it's become more and more that people trust telly credits. So when you see something on a poster, if it says Live at the Apollo or something like that, you might not have seen anything, but you go, that's a trust. It's like a certificate at a doctor's office. And so people just kind of go, well, may as well book that one, look at the credits or whatever, rather than actually, like, based on reviews, but they might not. Like, it happens quite a lot with comedians at the fringe, I think, that reviews come out that are very good reviews and people go oh I saw a good review but they might not enjoy really sexy comedy sure, or they might character not, comedy they might not have the same criteria for yeah, enjoying something yeah. as that reviewer did similar yeah. like I mean it's I think that the nearest thing I often think comedy is most like um, food and restaurants and if you constantly think I am just a person who was on the great British menu and now someone's come to my restaurant and they don't like barbecues but that's my vibe sorry guys and they're like I just would have liked a vegetarian meal or some pasta mm-hmm. and they kind of come because you know that's a really yeah. healthy way of looking at it that's, yeah I'm do- pretending that's healthy normally I go home and cry at night but you know <laughs> hey listen yeah. we'll get to that we'll get to that don't worry oh yeah 20 minutes in you yeah. convince us all we're depressed <laughs> so um, with the let's just talk about your audience who are your audience who are the people that are coming to see you is it a huge spread because the TV absolute bricks done- just absolute <laughs> racist pricks um no who are uh, just i'd like to think i get a wide variety of people i suppose i the, do you know who i find the most uh, i find maybe a most the most difficult audience when i see i find sometimes um when like young very young people come into the shows because when i see their little faces i feel a real responsibility 
almost to kind of like make it in, in no way, not inspiring, but almost teach them something. I kind of hate when people under 20, like 25 and older, you've kind of given up on life and you're grand. And like, yeah, okay, we're all on see the same page. See the, yeah, exactly. Like, look at all of these people. Everyone here has given up and they're, they're you know. But, um, and that's why when, when really young people come in, and like, it's, it's a lovely thing. Like myself, I'm, I'm uh, one of my best pals is Catherine Ryan. And she's amazing as well. And like, we love, like, I'm just such a fan of young women and like the potential of young women and what the next generation, just like 10 years younger than me can do when you, when you take away all the kind of negative stuff, you know, the just potential of young women. And sometimes I feel such a responsibility. So I really don't, I don't tend to do university gigs. I get a lot of requests for university gigs because a lot of my stuff online is about hip hop or stuff like that. And they think, oh, you like doing it. But I just, when I go to those gigs, I feel like going, okay, no time for comedy. Please don't rape anyone. Uh, everyone member just to be like, um, not to spike anyone's drinks. Always look after each other. Always go home in pairs. And you know, that's not hilarious uh, to young people. But I feel a real responsibility you know, uh, sometimes. So that can be a, a tough audience. Is um, that, is that, I'm really interested by that. That's a really funny idea. And it's, uh, it, it has absolutely a ring of truth to it that you would not want to, um, that it would almost seem to get in the way. But can you just tell us a bit more about that? How much is that? And, and yeah. you're allowed here to say glib things and be funny. And you're also allowed to, to go, oh, you know, maybe it's, it's actually something slightly different to that. But is that absolutely true that you don't, you don't want to do it for that reason? Yeah, I think I remember doing a gig in Queens in Belfast and I have this whole set. I had this set at the time and I'd done on Russell Howard's Good News, which again has a very youth-driven audience. And it's all about like the disco, like when I was a young girl in a disco and kind of like the bits. And it's all very much with the hindsight of having gone to discos years ago. Like when you watch it, you think, God, I remember when I used to go to discos. And like there's bits about having sex and stuff in it like that. And I looked out in the audience and they were like these lovely northern, Irish kids who were probably 17, 18 and 19 and say I'd say a lot of them like haven't had sex yet so to be kind of talking about it like it was hilarious to them it's the most important thing in the world they haven't done it yet it's like and to kind of talk about it in hindsight it felt really odd like I felt like a real response like it just felt mm. I couldn't the joke isn't the same because you're not going, God, like you'd be out the back of a ditch or something like that, you know, and with some Egypt, you know, um, and and they're going, God, I'd love to be out the back of a ditch with some Egypt. How, how did we get to that stage? Yet, they, you know, and is it just, is it that they're not laughing at the stuff because they don't have the life experience? They're were laughing they, at they the nervousness. Gigs? And I think in universities, you often get a lot of people and like some of the gags that people like in universities and like I, I love doing, uh, if I do do university gigs, I love like the female heavy audiences ones. Um, but some of the, you know, you're in your freshers week, you don't know these people yet. You don't know your new group of friends. You've just graduated from school. It's such a nervous time. And so sometimes you're laughing to go, ha ha ha, I love that joke. I'm, because that's my personality is I'm into jokes. Like, you know, you're, you're yeah, kind of yeah. the bravado. So it's a really odd thing. And then there are some people who their comedy transcends you know, like say, you know, um, say uh, Catherine Ryan or Joe Lysett, who are two of my best friends, they're actually my roommates in, in Edinburgh as well. Um, they do a lot of stuff about popular culture. And so that's just a great in because if you're into, you know, popular culture stuff does really well. Whereas actually some of my stuff, I maybe don't have enough popular culture references to kind of find a 20 minute set that I'd feel is OK and, is, you know, mm. is, would, would entertain the youngsters. So yeah. we I we gigged together in uh it was a couple of months ago in um in West London. It was knocked too bad. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. 
yeah. And we had a chat good. afterwards because you were doing that stuff about all of your friends having babies. Yes, 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 and, yes. The and I remember good. seeing, because I'd not really seen you in kind of writing mode or kind of... Uh, new material. New material mode. Yeah. mode. Mm-hmm. And you had loads and loads of stuff on stage that was really kind of bouncy and friendly and conversational mm-hmm. and very much what I think of as your style. Like you're really, really engaging. You're always moving. You're full of energy. You talk very fast. Mm-hmm. Loads of ideas coming out of it. And then I saw you sort of back in, in the inverted commas backstage behind a, a curtain, approximately yeah. as shabby as this one, yeah. um, with a real kind of, I said, oh, great gig. Uh, and you were like, yeah, what about this bit? Was that bit okay? Was that bit okay? And you had a very analytical, you had a big book open. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? You were, you were like... I it was think the Bible. Of... The book was the Bible. <laughs> I was reading through the Bible. I think, I think a lot of acts <laughs> with whom I associate um, high energy... Uh, conversational type stand-up. Yeah, I don't necessarily expect them to also then have the the Bible mm. backstage, the, the comedy Bible. You know, the, yeah, the yeah, joke yeah, writing book notes. and all the technical yeah. stuff. I I think because I what happens with me is I think my my um, advantage is the exact same as my disadvantage. So because of the speed I talk and I'm like a magpie, if I see something shiny, I'll talk about it. And like there's a beep you know there like magpie. What was that beep there? Did you hear a beep? Did anyone hear a beep? There's a beep there. Did everyone else hear a beep? Maybe it was a ghost. Um, but like I do, and that can be a really unfocused thing. And if I'm tired and I haven't gone through what I'm going to say, I could say anything. And sometimes that can be great, but sometimes people are like, what? Is, is this a woman? Has she drank too much toilet duck? What's happened? What is this woman on about? And so I have to kind of almost like uh, focus myself before I go on stage and then, and then kind of mess it up. Or like I have to kind of know what I'm going to say and then I can mess around with it okay. roughly. But like a lot of my, like I never, I never type out what I'm going to say. It'll be like a bullet point and then I'll kind of jazz around with the idea. But I'll still need that bullet point to know where I'm going next. But yeah, because I- it gets very, it can get very scatty. Are you are you still jazzing around bullet points by the time there's a paying crowd for your show at Edinburgh, or is that still kind of like uh, yeah, a live you know what? An for ongoing here, process? For Edinburgh was quite tough. I, I was filming a show called Trolleyed, which is like set in a supermarket. Yes, and um, ideally that wouldn't have been back to back with Edinburgh because I was like doing that for about six weeks, and so I'd get up at six in the morning, be on set for about seven, we'd finish at about five or six, and then I'd like get a train to Leicester from Bristol to go and do a gig to. 20 people and then come back that night and be up at six again to try and preview the show and I, I always like having a bit of space with with a bit of business and gigging it like say Old Rope which is a really nice gig in London where you do lots of new material I like kind of gigging I just, I just like gigging the material and seeing how different people react to different bits and testing different audiences and then slowly refining it there's a phrase throwing spaghetti at the wall and seeing what sticks Mm -hmm. and that's how I wrote right there's some people who take every single bit of spaghetti and stick it on the wall and they slowly make a picture and they write small and then get whereas I it's a big mess and then I clean it up Um, and so when I got to Edinburgh I hadn't really had that space and time with the show to to kind of to work on it not just to get used to it. So a lot of the first week was like testing out audiences and tested what order and how my train of thought went within an hour and in the new space because the room I'm in in Edinburgh here, it's quite theatrical mm-hmm. and I quite like more a more giggy because I'm an actor. I think I like when a gig is less theatre looking because it, you feel a bit more like an actor self whereas actually when I do a gig, I like it to be stand-up. Yeah, I like it to be a bit grubby and okay. like a club. So what is the what differences, if any, are there between... The process of writing your first hour, for which you mm. were nominated, 
Um, and did you did you win? My research fails me. No, did I didn't. Sorry, that's fine. Hey, you. And it, my second hour is the rest of your sentence, for which I wasn't nominated. Oh yeah, um, today. Yeah, that, they, yeah. they came out today. Yeah, yeah. And no. how did that feel? Were you hoping to be nominated? Um, yeah, no, I was. I've been robbed. I have been absent, and I'll say it here and I'll say it again. I've been robbed. No, not at all. I um, I really, uh, I, I've had a lo- really lovely the last three days. I've had kind of three kind of solid enough shows where I felt like I finally knew what I was doing, and also I've been hanging out with the most, like my favorite. I feel so lucky to be here in Edinburgh because, like, the show is just to almost like get better at being a stand up, so you can kind of match it with maybe the the stuff that's happening career wise and you can slowly get better so your live stuff can eventually match your kind of CV in a way yes. um, and I just like the people I think there was from from the outside looking in I'd say during the 90s it felt like comedy was a, a, a lads club for people who were quite competitive with each other yeah you know I was best on that gig I'll smash it yeah, yeah you, know, you know and that but that's not sustainable for anyone's mental health you can't work in an office like that like it was the same in the banking crisis you could you can't all just kind of like try and out sell each other for crops and corn I mean there's my banking chat I don't know <laughs> I think we've, we've learned that but I think now the new comedy isn't just like a place that's safe for women it's a place that's safe for like anyone who's not like like competitive or aggressive that it's like there's this whole community that we have that's just really warm and friendly and it just feels lovely like the people I hang around with like even on this festival are like uh, Pappy's Fun Club Brett Goldstein Tom Allen Felicity Ward Catherine Ryan and Joe Lysett Nish Kumar who There's was some nominated of the most, today the most kind of glowing comedians just aren't they? yeah just James people. Acaster the two of yeah. them were the two of them were nominated today and people and Tom was like nominated for a newcomer for a solo, a solo show Tom Parry and pappies and we were all just so happy for each other mm. and when the gigs don't go well we're not like oh you know we had a bad show it's like oh did you have a bad show oh god ah well at least you remember that old rope you did it was great you know yeah. we're like Tiff Stevenson as well just people you're really supportive of each other and it feels like yeah even when I have a run of maybe bad gigs I could do this forever because of the people I work with and you're like you know that sort of thing of going at the end of a life well lived, is there any people at your funeral? And that sort of felt what this Edinburgh is like. It's like, oh, well, the show has been up and down. Sometimes it's been like Deer Hunter where you're just like, with the roulette of the gun going, oh, God, I got away with it again. Ah. Um, you know, when, when people aren't really laughing too much. But uh, the yeah, other yeah, side to it is the, the, the environment and the community is just So what joy. drives you, if you're not competitive, what drives you to work so hard to be doing trolleyed and then driving and then going to London? I have a chauffeur. Um, I afford, uh, just a little on. gag there, guys. Just thought that's what you might have come for. What drives me so hard to work? Um, so uh, uh, I think I grew up. I grew up in a family where all our hobbies are work. So my mother is a retired jockey. Obviously, isn't everyone's? Um, she genuinely is, though. And so her her career is her passion is horses. I understand. And, um, okay. and all of our family really love working. We just love working. Um, maybe to our detriment. My sister's a costume designer. She does nothing but so I don't know. I don't really care what she does during the day. I presume that's what she does. Um, but uh, we all love working. And like I, when, I, when I'm not working, I get a bit of a panic. So um, what, what is, what's that panic? The, I think that I think there's something about maybe and maybe Irish people have this in general. Like if you don't keep working, it could get stolen from you. 
it could get taken away. The land, by that I mean. Uh, <laughs> the British people stole our land and we're still in a panic now that if we don't keep making land... Come on. Um, but you. Genuinely, yeah, you I th- genuinely, I think it is that it could get... Like, what, what, to, what, if, what if it gets taken away? Like, you have to make sure you cover yourself that you've got enough, you know... And, um, and why? Let's stay with that just for a second, mm. if you don't mind. Okay, you're Irish. There's a historical precedent, but it is but a real. Spe- it is it's a graft is really you. respected in Ireland. Like, yeah, I think okay. we all grow up with. We love people who are hard workers rather than someone who's been given something. And I think definitely in my family, we I love working, but I also love the like, like I love the job. And so when it's my hobby, like I don't really do anything else. And so when I'm not, do, I don't I don't go for a cycle. I don't, I don't know, what do people do? What do, people do? I mean, I, don't, I genuinely, like, I don't really do anything else. And so it, it, you have to kind of love your, your job in some way. Um, like, I think so, some people, like, do a job to get money and then have loads of activities. Like, I live with my, um, uh, with my friend from, uh, from home, Kasia, and she loves working, finishing at six, having that feeling that it's done. And then she just looks through time out and sees what's on. She just sees, maybe I'll go to a, a gallery. Maybe there's a comedy thing on tonight. Maybe I'll, I've never been that part. I just don't know how to, what you do. I just like, work. I just love working. So this is Ashling. just, uh, I mean, <laughs> what can you say about Ashling? She just uh, gives so much. She talks 10 to the dozen, loads of energy, loads of passion. Really, really good fun to talk to her. And uh, we got some good analysis of, uh, of what it all means and what her work means to her in there as well. More of that on the way. Couple of little plugs for some bits and bobs. Uh, if you're in time, you can see Kyle Kinane uh, at Zoo Manchester on Sunday the 15th of November. Uh, you can get tickets from C Tickets. That's S-double-E tickets, all one word. Uh, that is uh, for Michael Clapham, who's a brilliant promoter in Manchester who is trying to get uh, trying to get more uh, American comics to visit the north of England rather than just uh, coming to London when they come over here. So I think that's a very worthwhile endeavour. So 15th of November, that's this Sunday. Uh, if you manage to, to download this in time, then uh, rush and see the brilliant Kyle Kinane. Uh, if you've not heard of Kyle, we did an episode with him maybe two years ago now. Uh, but you can easily use the Comedians Comedian website, comedianscomedian.com. Uh, and if you want to quickly jump to that one, just search Kyle or Kinane or indeed Kyle Kinane in the little search box on the right-hand side. More on the website in a second. Uh, another little plug for the 24th of November for my chum Stuart Laws, uh, who is doing his show, Who Said Anything About Stopping? No, hang on a minute. The show's called Who Said Anything About It Stopping? I thought, but this link says it's called Stuart Laws, Who Said Anything About Stopping It? I've been maybe I've been completely wrong the whole time. Uh, people say nice things about Stuart, including uh, confident performance of confident material. Dot 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 priceless chortle. You never know what fits in that dot dot dot, do you? I mean, people manipulate them to their own ends. I'm sure we can trust Stuart that it was. Uh, uh, a very positive thing. Uh, fun, engaging, refreshingly funny. He basically, I, I don't know if I should be reading out the blurbs, but uh, Stu Laws is a really, really interesting and funny comic. And he's a charming young chap and a gilet as well. So if you'd like some comedy that you watch it going, does he even know what he's doing? And then you go, oh, go- oh, he really does know what he's doing. <laughs> and then, uh, then go check that out. Uh, that is going to be at the Hen and Chickens in Bristol. And it's in Time Out's top 10 November shows to see. Um, so 24th of November, uh, tickets are from unrestrictedview.co.uk. I'm sure you can search Stu Laws within them. 
A couple of listener things and then a big announcement. Um, I just wanted to read this. these two out. There's a lovely one. Hang on. Who was this? Um, someone said, a listener called Simon just got married. He got engaged. Uh, how can I quickly zip through this? Um, he basically said that him and his girlfriend, Vicky, uh, they'd mentioned getting married once or twice. Uh, this is where I nearly said blah, blah, blah there. Sorry, Simon. <laughs> it was a long email. It was detailed and I enjoyed it. I won't read all of it out. But he said, uh, I, I got the ring, put it away and planned how best to propose. And this is the bit I wanted to read to you. This is where you and your podcast came in. Hearing your guests speak of word economy and not rushing a delivery, I wrote, honed and rewrote what I wanted to say. Once I was happy with it, I practiced it out loud, worked out which phrases I stumbled over and rewrote those to scan more smoothly. I slowed myself down, found the beat of it and in doing so I felt confident I could deliver it without too much worry. Needless to say, she said yes. So congratulations to Simon and Vicky. That's very exciting. And I'm thrilled that my uh, show is helping people not just come together in a sort of general way. um, But, uh, you know, like a lot of shows, I guess people like to, you know, a lot of podcasts, a lot of radio shows, people like to put proposals. The Comedian's Comedian goes one further and teaches you how to propose in terms of word economy. Thank you, Simon. Uh, Another email here, which I may as well just read briefly. This is from a listener called Ben, who said, I loved your show in Edinburgh. Really blew me away. Really funny and expertly delivered. I felt I took away a lot as a budding stand-up as well. Thank you, Ben. Now, you might be wondering, what's Goldsmith doing uh, verbally retweeting his own praise here? Well, the big announcement is this, my friends. Uh, I'm going on tour. I am doing a tour of, uh, of my Edinburgh show from earlier this year. It's called An Hour. And uh, I've got 20 dates in March and April next year. Um, All being well, I will just have had a baby uh, at the end of January. So you can expect to see me just getting to the venue, uh, triple dropping some Red Bull and battering through the show regardless. Um, I just can't wait to do it. I I had a brilliant run of the show at uh, the Brighton Comedy Festival a month ago and I really was so excited. It really felt like the start of something. I, I, You know, the, the jump from being a circuit comic to being someone that can credibly tour is... It's tough. It's tough. And I think for, for comics of my sort of level, my profile, you've just got to get out there and do it. You've got to, to get out there and get, get on the road. Hopefully people turn up, and if they do, then you go, right, bosh, that's it, I'm a touring comic. Hopefully it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. Uh, who knows? But I'm very, very excited. Um, I've been getting some excellent work from Breed at Chambers Management, my agent. She's been um, uh, putting the tour together for me. So I hope it's coming to somewhere near you. Uh, we tried to sort of get it. We tried to, to book it such that uh, I could get back home and see my tiny baby in between shows. So I'm sorry if it doesn't quite go to the, the furthest corners of the country. I'm really, really proud of this show, guys, and I really want you to come and see it. There is an uh, there is an extra little incentive if you come along as well. I've yet to decide the track. I feel like we should use a particularly significant track. But at the end of all of my tour shows, uh, venue permitting, uh, what I'm going to do is play a particular track whilst everyone else in the auditorium leaves, apart from you guys, the ComCom listeners, and uh, you hang around till the end of that track, everyone else leaves, and then I sneak out, and we do just a little five or ten minute, uh, not quite an ask me anything, you know, those things that, that Reddit do, but something along those lines. Basically, there are things I think about the show, uh, and things that uh, that you would like to know. I mean, people are always uh, asking me, when are you going to be on Comedians Comedian? And of course, that presents its own problems, not least of which I like to think I'm, and my own line of questioning is fairly integral to the process, it's very hard to do it to myself 
But if you have any burning issues, if you'd like to know anything about the show, uh, who are my favourite guests, uh, what things I'm most proud of or most embarrassed by, um, I dare say I'd better come up with an answer to the comedy gravestone question. Um, I think I thought of one a while ago as an emergency answer, but I'm bugged if I can remember it. And basically, you can ask me stuff about the podcast and we'll do a little mini interview afterwards. It won't be for long, but I'm sure we can manage 10 minutes and that will be unbroadcast off the record. Or what we might do uh, is record one of them and uh, and then play it at the end of one of the podcasts, heavily bleeped and, and uh, redacted <laughs> so that you really have to come and see me live uh, if you want the inside story. So that's the tour. It's officially on sale now. Uh, although it doesn't start until March and April next year, why not get online now and get your tickets? I mean, all of these dates, none of these are going to suddenly expand and fill in extra ones. I'm doing all the ones I can. So uh, don't miss out. Uh, You can go to comedianscomedian.com forward slash tour underscore 2016. Uh, And if that's too much to remember, just go to comedianscomedian.com and click on the little news bar on the right. And in big red letters, it says I'm going on tour. So click on that and uh, and it should find uh, find you a list of the venues. I'm going to places like the Wardrobe in Bristol and Excess Malarkey in Manchester. Uh, I'm going to the Old Town Hall in Hemel. Uh, I'm going to the Stables in Milton Keynes. Uh, I'm going to all manner of other places. The Gulbenkian, uh, I'm going to... Uh, that's going to be a classic one of the Gulbenkian because what happens there is something that happens to a lot of comics. You get all excited because you've got the name of a theatre you recognise and, and as you get to the gig, you realise you're in the cafe of that theatre. Well, <laughs> well, we'll be in the cafe and hopefully if we massively oversell then we will be, uh, uh, they'll move us onto the roof. Who knows? Um, that, that's the information. That's the tour. Go to comedianscomedian.com. Of course, from there, you can also buy one of our limited edition T-shirts. If you have received one of those T-shirts in the post recently, I hope you've got it in one piece. Uh, and please tweet me at comcompod or email me info at comedianscomedian.com with a photo of you wearing that T-shirt in the place where you listen uh, to the podcast, wearing that T-shirt and other clothes. I really can't stress that enough. <laughs> um, so, so that's that stuff for now. If you'd like to donate to the show, you can do that by clicking on the uh, numerous options, the donate options at comedianscomedian.com. You can set up a recurring payment. Uh, there's a lot of different uh, ones you can choose from there. And I'm very pleased to announce that several of you have done that. Uh, I don't have your names in front of me. Um, we'll do a roll of honour at some point soon. Um, but also you can do a one-off donation of uh, five, ten, twenty pounds, or whatever you think the is appropriate. Someone recently, bless a lovely uh, a Canadian listener called Flora, uh, did a very careful calculation and worked out one Canadian dollar per episode of the show she's listened to, and then worked out the exchange rate and things like that. Absolutely warm the cockles of my heart. So hello to you, Flora. Thank you very much. Uh, and if you would like to donate as well, you can do. You can probably hear my voice is a bit strained, so I'm going to pack this bit in for now and get back uh, a little bit ill at the moment. I've got to go to Belfast tomorrow to do the blame game. And uh, you might have seen me. And if you didn't see it go out live, you can probably see it uh, on uh, Endless Rerun on Dave. Uh, I was lucky enough to be on an episode of Alan Davies As Yet Untitled with Matt Lucas, uh, Sarah Kendall, John Thompson, and of course, Alan Davies. I'm going to watch that later on tonight when it goes out. I'm recording this on Tuesday. Hopefully the uh, the comedy gods and indeed the editor have been kind to me. <laughs> so look out for that. Uh, if you get to see it sometime. Uh, I think that's everything I need to tell you for now. Let me just check my little list. Uh, All of that stuff has been said. 
And now I'm going to go and guzzle limes. That's my top cure, by the way. <laughs> Does anyone else do this? What I do when I get ill is I buy a load of limes and then throughout the day I chop them into quarters and then force myself to eat a quarter of a lime on the basis... I don't know, I'm, it's a sort of a scurvy thing. They're, they're good for you, aren't they? They're full of vitamin C, are they? I'm feeling better than when I woke up this morning. I felt really crook. But uh, that's the lime system. Do you do that? And this is, I'm speaking as someone who, this is the most pathetic quasi-science. I'm speaking as someone who, whenever comics say to me at Edinburgh, oh, I'm losing my voice, what do I do? I always go, there is literally no help for it than to stop speaking, stop going out, drink water, don't drink any alcohol at all, and get some rest. That's the only cure. And people are like, ah, oh, bollocks, I'm going to have old Sanderson's peculiar squid mixture and <laughs> neck that, and the guy gets smashed all night. And uh, so I, I'm definitely guilty of, uh, of claiming to know about science when I absolutely don't. Back to the limes. Sorry, this one's been a bit squiddly, but um, I uh, I hope I'll be well enough for tomorrow. I'm, I'm sure I will. Of course I will. Get some more limes down me. That's the secret. Now back to Ashley. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com Let's talk about the the difference then between the first hour and, and this one. Oh, yeah. uh, normally, the first hour would be the the stand up that someone's been working on, the best of the last five years. I think that's a fairly common tactic to, to try and land and get nominated, be a, yes. you know, and, and hit the ground running. Yeah. You, you, of course, by the time you did your first hour, had only been a comic for a couple of years. Yeah. So, were you doing? Had you written that show as a show in itself? Did it have lots of bits and pieces that that you'd kind of put together? Um, I think my my problem in general is that I have to like. Uh, scale things back so I nearly always run over than run under because I and I honestly I do not understand like sometimes I watch people set on things like Live of the Apollo and I'm like they've said three things and that took them five minutes sometimes I go out and I go hello I'm Ashling and for some reason people are like yeah that's your time that's your time I was like what I haven't even said anything like <laughs> the words just like it takes me sometimes five sentences to say a thing and I don't understand I just don't understand how I seem to say I feel like I say nothing and then it just takes loads of time to get to get to get it said like like that just i'm sure i'm sure there was a quicker way to say that sentence but it just it just takes ages to get all the sentences all the words out and so for me after kind of a year and a half or two to have an to just chat for an hour was like ah yeah have an hour Um, and i think maybe it's actually maybe being an actor first and foremost gives you the show the beginning middle and end brain so you don't think of it as like I need three twenty minute club sets. You think of a beginning, middle, and end of a show, which is fifty minutes, a start, a finish, and an end, and how it all ties together. Like that's how you you work as a theatre actor. You see the whole arc of a piece and the story. Um, so maybe that maybe that made it easier. Okay. I don't know. And I suppose if you're if you're already if you're tuned into that, if that's the the way you basically feel about yourself and the way you basically feel about the task of creating an hour. Then are you? Does that mean you're you're someone who never has to look at a blank page and go, "How am I going to fill this?" 
I no, actually, that's. Uh, I think maybe if something happened at one point, I always thought I was that person, but then something happened, and maybe it was I did not expect anyone to ever want to actually listen to me. I just thought, well, this will be. I started kind of doing telly acting, and I was like, God, I miss the live stuff. I miss the theatre, and I was like, Do you know what? If I don't start doing stand up now, I'll never give it a go. So I just started gigging and starting stand up, and then it sort of kind of took off and I didn't really expect it to and that expectation put a little bit of a staring at a blank page for me for a little bit I got a little bit of like oh no people expect something good now I I have to deliver and that when that gets in you kind of can't write anymore but now I've kind of made I think I've made my peace with having with you know you can go ah people just turn up and be disappointed if they don't like it. You know, let them, that's you can't, a, I mean, you can't, you just can't do anything about that in many ways. That's you fascinating know? because obviously four years in, it's not just the career that's going really well. Like you're also, you've got kind of accelerated learning of the lessons. Like I'm sort of 11 years in and I'm only just getting yeah. like, I feel like this year for the first time, I just, the reviews don't matter to me because yeah. I love it so much. It doesn't, you know, yeah. not and Well, I think, I think, and I think that's what, that's the bit I found hard because like I've been an actor for 11 years. It's never took off. I, I like started when I was about 17 or 18, but even as a kid, it's all I wanted to do. I wrote all our school plays. Then I went to drama school or I went to university. I was in, I was in a play every three weeks. Just terrible, the most awful plays you've ever, like the worst plays. Oh, I played, I played pigs walking around <laughs> stage for an hour. Like the worst plays. And then I went to drama school for three years, uh, two years, uh, had like a bad old time in drama school, came out, slogged away. I've been down to the last two for everything. I've done pilots that never saw the light of day. I expect to fail. And that's how I like it. I like the graft of that. I like that if I get an acting job now, I don't go, oh, I don't deserve this. I'm like, oh, geez, thank God. And so when I just started stand up and immediately got stuff, I was like, no, 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 that's not the way it works. That's not the way it works. I don't deserve it. I don't deserve it at all. I don't deserve it. No, 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 don't give that to me. And it's sort of like, I like the graft. I like feeling like you know what you're doing. And so if you fail, you go, oh yeah, that's because of that. Like if I do an acting job and I'm a bit hammy in it or I'm not great, I know why and I can fix it. Whereas with stand-up, I haven't always known why that gig went bad because I don't have 10 years of bad gigs to go, oh yeah, that's because that club is odd or I was weird or I was tired or whatever it was. Um, Or Stuart was a bit off with me and he was being a bit pervy backstage. Whatever it is that makes you uncomfortable. Let the record clearly state that you did not come backstage at any point. Um, Instead, instead you gave away precious gems. Can we keep that bit in the edit? Because this is the expose. (laughs) Uh, The one they should have had in the 70s. I'm doing now. I'm lifting the lid on it all. Um, What is it like to be a lady in comedy? Um, But I think that bit I I found, that's the the bit I found. um, Okay. And I think that's why I like working so hard. It's almost like to speed up to try and do all the things that people get in eight years to do it in such a small amount of time. Yes. Quick, you know. And you've been, I mean, you're with Off the Curb, are you? No. You're, no, no, you're not. Who are you no, with? No, no, no. I'm with Independent. Ah, Independent. there we are. I was about, well, my question was going to be, mm. you're with one of the big agencies. Mm. So what I was going to ask was, does that mean that when you do Edinburgh, there's less pressure on your on your Edinburgh show to succeed because you're already all over lots of different TV projects? No, I don't I don't think so because I think that undermines, uh, without sounding like a total vanker, as they say in Germany, um, I think that undermines the artistic why you're doing it. Like you don't, I've never been doing this to get on telly. It's almost like the opposite. Like I've, I've, I've almost randomly done the telly stuff and want to make sure my live gig, because when people see you on telly and they turn up and they pay 
This is what one thing we learned at drama school was always to do loads of vocal warm ups, and like we'd always be like we'd spend hours going, and then you'd be saying, "Why are we doing this?" And they'd be like, "Because the people at the back have paid their ticket price. They've paid an amount of money, which is a lot of money to some people, to come and watch you do a play. And if you only do it for the front row for the people who've paid the most money." you're a bad person. You are a vanker. Um, and so the same thing was like, if see, someone's seen you on telly and they come and see you do a gig, you owe it to that person who's paid a ticket price to try really hard to be as good as you can. And sometimes it just doesn't work. Like sometimes you can't please people, but you kind of owe it to them to try. And so the Edinburgh show, like that's, 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 that's the real stuff. Like that's the real comedy to me. And that's a bit that's the bit that actually matters because when you do a panel show, like, I'm not sure if people know this, but a panel shows record for three hours. Like we sit there for three hours and sometimes we'd be talking about Oscar Pistorius for 55 minutes and you're like, I have nothing left to say about this man. And, and then they, you know, snap it in, they edit it together 25 minutes and you look like you've had the greatest gig of your life and you said two sassy things and people are like, oh, she's so sassy. And you're like, God, the, the junk they left out. Um, that editor was nice to me. Um, and so that part, like that, that's, that's not totally real in terms of stand-up. It's not, it doesn't feel as real as when you're at a gig and you're there for an hour and people's night out and it's live and that's, there's people in a room. That's, that's what's real and that's what's worth getting better at because that, that you can't take away. The TV stuff could all go in the morning. People might not want to see me on telly anymore. Whereas it, the live stuff, you can just do a gig wherever you want. You can do a gig here in this kind of forest-themed cafe, <laughs> you, you know, wherever it is. But that stuff you can always do yourself and people might still want to come and see you. But that's what, that's, that's long-lasting. That's kind of for, that's a long-term career. Something just because you're on telly at the moment or they need the do odd you, woman to step in and show a flange do you, for a bit. <laughs> do yeah. you thrive? Do you thrive in those kind of panel game environments? People have vastly different feelings about them. Some excellent comics won't go near them because of the, the kind of combative nature of a panel game. Yeah, I think, I, I definitely think there are certain situations that cert, suit certain t- people's type of comedy and certain people's type of personalities and I suppose like I've um oh god someone really sorry, disgusted someone by that last remark going, what yeah that's that too like the truth um yeah that was a BBC executive who was like no don't tell any secrets about panel shows um uh, I think it definitely starts different personalities and I don't think whether you do well in them or not is a gauge of whether your live work is good in any way like I just like chatting in and talking to people. So for me, sitting around with a group of people discussing ideas is not intimidating. And also, I grew up with um, in an all-female environment until I was 18. My mother was a jockey in a male-dominated environment, but, like, uh, it was pretty much all women, and men were sort of just old or small. So I've never been intimidated. <laughs> but I've never, like, it never occurred to me that I should be intimidated by men or that idea that people put on you kind of, oh, it's not very intimidating being with a load of men. You're like, no, I don't think they're going to hit me. I think men are mostly okay. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not, uh, the intimidating bit is maybe if you're, I, I find it the most scary if you're tired and you have to rock up to something or if I hadn't read the newspapers that week and you just feel like you're on the back foot. That I intimidate myself more than other people. And we're all trying to, like on panel shows, the worst is when everyone does their bit because then you could just go and see someone's 
stand-up routine, the best moments are when people like throw a ball in the air of an idea and bounce it around and you can bounce it back and forward. And that's joyful. And I think that's that's what's changing. Like Sarah Pascoe recently did, um, like her first Mock the Week was just glorious because she was on it with Gary Delaney and Josh Widdicombe and they're all pals. And you could see they were bouncing around ideas. You could see they were having a laugh together. And that's that's glorious for an audience to watch. Because if you're just watching someone do gag, gag, gag on their own, I own all the glory, just go watch them on their own sometime. Watch their DVD, watch them be on their own. Like, it should, that's what a discussion is. It should be a variety of people. It should be a variety of opinions. Because otherwise, it's just cut to next white person giving an opinion on the news. <laughs> Why do you think that you have accelerated so quickly, specifically you, compared to the next people? Because I know I, I feel like there'll be uh, drama students listening to this going, it's as easy as that. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Because it's... Don't because- do it. There's only room for one person to go from drama school to comedy. <laughs> Back off! <laughs> um, I don't... I really don't know. I do not know why I get hired sometimes. I, I really don't. I, you must have some sense of the quality actually, that I suppose you're bringing maybe to the room that someone else One is. thing is being an actor, going about it the wrong way in a sense. There are very few people who maybe go from having been on telly as an actor going, no, what I really want is to do a gig to six people in Stoke Newington. Yeah, and, right. You know, and do something really awful. Like maybe that's a sort of... Yeah, that's probably a path yeah, less trodden it's a for really people. is like to go, like, I'd really like to do something shitter. Uh, yeah, I guess if I was booking yeah. a, a mid-sized comedy club, yeah. I'd want to, you know, it's attractive to go, oh, this person with loads of TV credits in comedies, you know, lots yeah. of sort of successful stuff like that. And I suppose from the other side of the fence, a lot of people in that situation wouldn't be troubling themselves yeah. with... Maybe it forces you to step up a little bit more. And maybe like my friend, because I've known so many people through comedy, through acting and over the years, and I was in a sketch group at university and I just kind of knew a lot of people. My first gigs, like I did everything from the open mic circuit. Like I, I basically, I was doing um, a BBC show called Dead Boss, which was Sharon Horgan and Holly Walsh's um, show set in a prison. And it was brilliant. We loved doing it so much. And there were loads of amazing people like Jennifer Saunders and Susan but they didn't recommission it which is very sad but um, I kind of started a little bit of stand up but just doing a gig here and there and I wasn't really sure it was worth it because I was like oh my god I get so scared doing one gig to the next I could do one every two weeks or something like that and you get so scared and it feels so awful having to be yourself and when it didn't go well it felt like such a judgement on you just hold up for a second it feels so awful having to be yourself yeah because to go from taking someone else's words and becoming someone else and then going in and going when you don't when I used to feel it was so personal if you didn't like your someone didn't like you in a play because you're like oh my god it feels like they don't like me then take away the characters, the plays, someone else's words, and it's me on stage as me. It's not a character. I know people are like, is that accent real? It is. <laughs> and you're just there on your own. And if people don't laugh or like you, you're like, oh, my heart. It feels like it's me. And it's hard. I think unless you're a psychopath, it really is like that is a hard thing to do. But then when I was filming Dead Boss, like Holly Walsh was working every day from again 6am to 7pm at night on set watching her show being made. And then she'd go out and gig and I'm like, ah, Holly, why don't you take a night off? And she's like, because if I don't, it's a muscle. If I don't gig most evenings, I don't get better. And something about that clocked in with me. And I was like, you know what, maybe I should give it a go. And that night I literally... 
went over the next three days and got in touch with everyone on Facebook I knew who booked gigs and booked like 20 or 30 gigs for the next like uh, a month and a half. And I pretty much after I'd finished on Dead Boss, I'd go and start gigging. And it's the only way to get better is to work hard and gig, 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 gig. And then I got the taste for it. And I was like, okay. And to, but then you immediately, because of your telly credits, I kind of ended up on gigs where like I'd be gigging with people like Dave Gorman and, and Pippa Evans and just really good people. And you're like, God, I need to step up and something in you. I don't think it's a competitive thing. I think it's more a pride thing. Something in you goes, no, I need to step up and get better. So you, you, you try and reach, you, sillily so, you try and reach a level of people who've been at 20 years, doing it for 20 years, but you could try and jump up sure. to that and it's normally you're, you feel like you're jumping up and down trying to crab something that okay. you can't you know but maybe that's why and also then again is also being on telly never intimidated me so when I sit down at a panel show the cameras and the stuff it's something I know what I'm, I'm no, I know what I'm doing um and that part I never had to learn it's almost learning like the the structure of gags the structure of jokes when to step in when to step back stuff like that are there are there any elements to your background in acting that have been problematic for are there any things you've had to unlearn? Yeah. Because I, I sometimes yeah. think that if you, you can almost tell sometimes when someone is a new comic and you kind of go, well, they're an actor. Yeah. In, in a way that's actually not useful. Oh, yeah. The acting thing, I think it's more, I think it's less on stage. I think it's more uh, in my personal life, it's very tough because, very tough, like God, as if I'm bloody well working out in Syria for uh, Medicine Sans Frontier. Very tough. I have a very tough life. Um, Let's accept that this is the place in which you can talk yeah, about Yeah, okay. The well, then my life it. is really bad, guys. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> like, sometimes I have to be on stage for like 10 minutes. Oh, the time. Um, I think it's more myself when I come off stage. To I think it's undoing, like acting and stand-up are very different crafts of course they connect of course it's the same of course being on stage it's it's very, you know and it, it, it can add and take away but more uh for maybe my own mental health it was harder because of that having to be myself it it like i'd worked for so long to get to a stage at acting and then to have to go feel like you were going backwards and start again yes it's all maybe it's like if you were a penis a really successful penis and then had to be in a bad penis by the way i just said <laughs> maybe you're oh, a successful rats. penis I, really, I thought that was gonna be you know, great like, yeah if you were a successful penis and then had to go and be uh <laughs> or like if, if you play piano really well in a band and then all of a sudden someone sticks you in a different type of band you have to learn guitar and all of a sudden you're on stage and you find yourself making mistakes that you wouldn't normally and you're trying to have the same bravado as you have when you're playing the piano, but you're yeah. there still not really into it. That's sometimes what it, what it, what can it, what it can feel like. And it, that that part of it, I think, for myself, my sense of self, I think that sure. was a harder bit. OK, so which in your looking at your current show, uh, mm-hmm. which bit of your show, which piece of material, which four or five or ten minutes... Are you, do you most enjoy? Do you most feel like yourself? When um, I, I'm not sure because you came to see it about two weeks ago, didn't yes, you? Right, so yeah, I've still yeah. been adding like a work in progress bit. Like I've still been adding little bits and bobs. And there are two bits where I'm talking about like uh, uh, kind of the effect the referendum had in Ireland and what Ireland used to be like. And mm-hmm. I have a new kind of bit about abortion, um, which is a real... <laughs> <laughs> crowd tickler um, you know just cheap material like that um, 
all of, all of the sassy stuff um, uh, at that and what constitutes a real family because the no campaign during the referendum was telling us what constituted a real family that two men bringing up a baby or two women bringing up a baby or anything like what, what, you know I grew up in a single parent family that's that's not what a real family a real family is like you know 17 children and a woman with their insides turned out and a man who has to get an extra job every time he has an erection that's what a real family is Catholic Church um, you know and all that but that kind of really interested me that made me really feel something this year and if you can if, if something makes you feel something and you can write jokes about it that and, and make people laugh that feels like oh that's great because sometimes sometimes it's it's just stuff that you find funny but when it sort of feels like you're doing two things that's all that always feels just a little bit more so, rewarding so that seems that seems like a very tough subject to get jokes out of so what's the mm. starting point for that and what's the craft of that when you're you you try a bit of that on stage there's newer sort of work in progress type stuff what decisions are you making in order to draw the funny out of such a difficult subject? Oh, it's really hard. It's really it's really hard to work out how to do it. I think it would be easier if I was a deadpan comic. I mean, I don't want to like... I, I was talking to James Gill. James Gill is the most wonderful uh, MC. He runs uh, Always Be Comedy, which yes. is this great night in London. And loads of comics just go and have just warm gigs. And we often talk about how loud a silence is if you're quite a loud, chatty person and a bit doesn't go well. And you go, but that's what that is! That silence when you're really loud and talk loud loads is so loud rather than if you're like, well, that's what that is. You know, didn't really work that bit, did it? But whatever. <laughs> like that, it just doesn't feel... I, I, I have experienced I, oh this, my like, God. almost like a jealousy of low energy oh, people. Like, wouldn't it be great, great to just turn up and oh, mumble your way through it and kill and wander off? To be deadpan. And then, it, and then you'd leave with a sort of arrogance like, no, you were shit. It was your fault. <laughs> like, just sometimes I feel like, you know, it'd be... You know, amazing if the government didn't cut funding to the arts, but what do I know, you know? Right, well, I've been X, Y, Z, see you later. And people are like, oh, I didn't laugh there, but I think it might be because I'm stupid. <laughs> Whereas, like, when I go, ah, people are like, oh, that was a bit much, wasn't it? I just couldn't handle her. She was a bit much. Um, you know, she must be really embarrassed when she leaves stage because you can hear the silence a lot more. So so when you're when you're testing out new stuff and you're trying to get the angle... And especially if something's darker, I think sometimes when you're a bit more peppy and happy, people don't necessarily want you to go somewhere dark. Mm-hmm. And so you have to really work out the angle. Could tell, us, tell us what you mean by the angle. I think I know what you mean. You, to re- so- you, you have to just sort of work out how you get people to like be like, guys, it's grand. Don't worry about it. Because you always have to make sure people feel like you're grand when you're talking about something like abortion, that you're not actually really sad about abortion. Uh, I mean, I'm not delighted about abortion uh, but, but like you need to you need yeah. them to know that you're okay yeah yeah that it that it's okay to laugh here about something um you know that it's you know yeah basically that it's, and, and in terms of the, finding the angle of a subject you're trying to is that the same thing for you as trying to find a premise like you're kind of you're saying this is someone's like this no, is the attitude the, i think this yeah and and then the premise is almost like the structure that you build around that. This is, these are the means by which we're going to talk about. Yeah, I think the premise often comes first. I think that, I think this is the same probably for most comedians. Your premise comes first. You'd be like, oh, I've got this really idea like this. And you try it out a couple of times and it doesn't work. And then you might come back to it a year later, two years later, you look through your joke books. You're like, oh, that reminds me of that bit. Now I understand why it works or why it doesn't work or a certain angle. Or you can work it in with another bit or you can drop it and come back to it. Like that's... Maybe that, but the premise, like the idea in your head of why you think there must, there's something in that. There's something in that. Mm. I think that's what happens. And then you try and make it funny to people and then see if people kind of like it and then you hone it down. If there's something in, 
Yeah, I think that's for I think for most people the premise comes first. I think, anyways. I've got one uh, last area I'd like to talk to you about. In a couple of weeks, I'm going to take myself to LA and gate crash the LA podcast <gasps> festival. Oh! Yes, yeah. I have not been invited, and I'm bloody going anyway. Um, so when I'm in LA, I'm mm. going to try and do some spots if I can around there. Now, yeah. you've, you've done that. You've been to yes, LA. I have. Tell me what your experience was of, uh, of, oh, doing, of doing gigs there. It was so, I mean, it's just, it was very odd being in, in, in has anyone been to California or Hollywood? Yeah, yeah. Have you ever gone to gigs there, comedy gigs? Like it's, you have, it's been like, it's really odd because there's a New York scene. And like, so comedy in the UK came from people doing music halls. So like, hello, hello, what's going on? What's going on? Okay, do a joke, do a joke by my mother-in-law. Hello, how are you doing? How are you doing? And that's kind of where our stand-up scene came from, that sort of music hall tradition, people loving crowd work, people loving chatting to people. That's what a kind of British audience and Irish audience love. Irish stand-up comes a lot from storytelling. Like the most important person in Ireland in the pub is a storyteller. It is not the most attractive person because it's never going to be that person. It is the, the storyteller in Ireland is a prestigious person. That's why you see so many storytellers come out of Ireland. But in America, stand-up came from kind of during the 70s after in late night bars, people would get up and do a song or do five minutes. People would get up and do five minutes of a talent, whether it's telling a little story or a, a couple of jokes. It'd be after kind of the musics came down and people got performers after musicals would want to drink or something like that. So stand up there is very different and people don't like crowd work. They call it crowd work when you talk to the audience. They do not care whether you're funny off stage. Whereas in the UK, that's what people love. Like that's what I love. I love when someone's funny off the cuff. I love that. In America, they want to see your work they want to see it for five minutes to ten minutes and that's what they like they want to see the start middle and end you don't go out and go hello so where's everyone from and that's i love chatting to people you go hey so i was in a bakery the other day and you know he wasn't in a bakery the other day and he doesn't give a shit that he wasn't in a bakery the other day and the baker said to me xyz and then i was like huh that's pretty awesome pause and yeah exactly people laugh then and you're like oh my god you just stopped and told people when to laugh and they did it so did you, know? you have to change what you did oh to suit it oh my god it would go up and down so? yeah and I, like if I if I'd gone to New York I think people would have cared that I was Irish but in America or in LA they don't think like the big the, the Irish thing is more Hispanic people mm-hmm. and so they're like hey okay me say go and people would laugh and go okay that, that was I don't speak Spanish I was just improvising <laughs> Spanish people here. I mean, I assume I could in an emergency, but just right now, I can't. Um, but but yeah, it was really it was really interesting. So I kind of go out, and also to do a tight five is really tough for me because I don't I just say too much. I was like, oh god, how do I get what do I say? Um, so, to, but it, it was really good craft wise. Like people cannot believe as a stand up you would do an hour because they go around touring fives and tens and eventually get to Louis C.K. stage where you'd have an hour. They cannot believe that every year comedians turn over an hour of stuff. They work so hard in a five to ten. And in L.A., it's a, it can be a little bit auditiony. It can seem like a little bit of an audition. And I'm just going to do this tight five for Conan and hopefully someone from Conan will be in and he'll watch me and then I'll be on Conan doing this tight five. And I'm like, oh, my God, there's so many ideas. If I was to do Conan now. What jeez, I mean, what would I speak about? Hello, hello. Um, let me think now. What? Oh, was that a light at the back? Are you telling me it's Yeah, Conan, go on. I'm like, Conan. oh, I've been Ashley. I've been from Ireland. Goodbye. And it sort of looks like a Make-A-Wish foundation that someone has to have a go, you know. 
know. I think it's three and a half minutes. Kind of, yeah, I was talking to Russell Howard about this. He, to God. You can imagine Russell Howard having a very similar problem going, right, Just or a similar challenge. How do I get the Russell get? Howardness of him yeah. and turn it into three and a half or three four Three and minutes. a half minutes. But then that's where you can learn a lot from doing that in the same way, I suppose, when the, when the people from the States come over here, they learn how to maybe take an idea and go, oh, it's okay to elaborate on it and to expand it out yes. and to go, yes. you know, to, to milk that idea like an old cow, like just go, you know, really spend ages. You're looking at your watch there. So I, I am, I'm sorry. Look Keep doing the milking the cow I'm talking about the milk and you can milk that and it, cow and you know, it will get, encourage get the people, bucket and the bucket is a gig. And it will encourage the, the people that are listening to this <laughs> to think, well, I must go to a live one because I'm missing all the mimes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, we have come to the end of our allotted time. So, uh, I've got a, a last emergency mini question for which you are unprepared. You can interpret <gasps> this however you like. What would you have on your comedy gravestone? What would I have on my comedy gravestone? Um, uh, this is the millionth time I've died in my life. <laughs> <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, please join me in thanking yeah. Ashley B. Yeah. Thank you so much. <laughs> So that was Ashling B. Thank you so much to her for uh, for coming on the show. Thanks to the PBH Free Fringe. Thank you to Nathan Wood for uh, producing the episode as ever, as he so ably does. Uh, thanks to James Hingley for the website, Dan Melrose for the music, Steve Dunn, who is still working with me on the break glass thing. It is going to take me a while, guys, even with your very kind crowdsourcing suggestions of your most uplifting moments for the podcast. Uh, you can still tweet or email them to me with the hashtag break glass. Um, it does take a while to sort that out. And obviously it takes me ages to sort it. And then it takes uh, Steve a little while to, to throw together some fabulous music to underscore it. Or to score it. Not quite sure what those terms are. Uh, if there's a difference between the. Oh, yeah, underscoring is a, a grammatical thing, isn't it? It's punctuation. Wow, this is some absolute top quality podcasting. Good God. Uh, Rob Rouse, who you remember from this show, uh, he's started doing his own podcast as well. I've heard a tiny snippet of it. It made me chuckle a lot. So have a little check out of that. Um, so, yes, feel free to send us your break glass stuff and do check out the tour at comedianscomedian.com forward slash tour underscore 2016 uh, that's all for now chuck in your donations press cash into my hand in the street and say something cool i'll speak to you soon